Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. I am so thankful to be at home. And uh, I want to say thank you to Maysville Baptist Church for making my family and I feel at home. We have felt at home and we are so grateful to be at home. Would you take a copy of the Word of God and turn to Psalm chapter 27 this morning? Psalm chapter 27. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of Psalm 27. I love to hear the rustling of pages, don't you? Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 27. The Bible reads, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. And isn't that what we've done this morning? David said, I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Listen to verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Because of mine enemies, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelties. I had fainted. Have you ever felt that way? David said, I had fainted. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. And just in case you weren't picking up what he was putting down, he said, wait, I say, on the Lord. May 31st, 1889 will live in infamy in our nation's history. It was one of the worst days on this soil. You see, historic levels of rainfall throughout the night caused the Connemaw River to overflow its banks. And Lake Connemaw, it swelled to record levels. The mass influx of of water created much pressure on the South Fork Dam. And unfortunately, the South Fork Dam had a number of problems. 
For starters, its spillway had been screened to keep out large game fish from escaping the river. And that screened spillway would eventually be completely clogged. Once more, the original system of relief piping had been torn out and sold for scrap metal, metal and it was never replaced. And so there was no relief piping when waters rose to this level. To top it all off, the South Fork Dam had experienced small leaks in its history and there was substandard repairs made. It was the perfect storm. May 31st, 1889, the combination of this massive pressure of water and the years of poor planning came together. And the South Fork Dam collapsed, releasing almost 4 billion gallons of water into the valley below. The rushing water, it destroyed a few towns. But the greatest destruction was when it hit the town of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. This was 14 miles away. The water was moving at 40 miles an hour and some crests were some 60 feet high. We're not even speaking about the debris that it was carrying, but regardless of the height of the water and the speed of the water and the debris within the water, this was a terrible catastrophe. In fact, it destroyed over 1,600 homes, killing nearly 2,000 people. Now, I highlight this today to show the tragic consequences of what happens when pressure builds on something that's poorly maintained and ill-equipped to stand such pressure. You see, the South Fork Dam is an obvious engineering failure of epic proportion, but I present it to you as a chilling metaphor because there are believers who've been shipwrecked. There are believers who have experienced heightened levels of pressure and it has caused them to throw in the towel. You this morning may be saying as you sit in the comfort of Maysville Baptist Church, that would never happen to me. But in the event... That pressure builds. We must be well equipped to handle said pressure. Or we may be a statistic like many others who've gone before us. In our generation, the greatest pressure seems to be constant fear. 60% of college students uh, were, were, were questioned and they said that they faced serious prolonged struggles with anxiety. And that's supposed to be the gifted, the young, and the carefree among us. But regardless of age bracket, regardless of demographic this morning, there are many, and you may be in this category, who's living with fear and anxiety. When you do so, your daily life is not, it's not lived out of what you're for and what you're committed to and what you're excited about, but... You live, you're driven by what you're most afraid of. And if you want to know how widespread fear and anxiety is, turn on any form of media. You do realize even today that media, news, it traffics people's fear. They know that fear drives. They know that mere fear motivates. They know that fear sells. You see, because many of us are experiencing unforeseen circumstances or dealing with matters that are far too personal to, to speak about in public, 
Or maybe we're just seemingly watching the world implode around us on our local favorite news station. We live bound, trapped, and crippled by fear. So here's my question this morning. In a frightful and anxious world, filled with frightened and anxious people, can one actually live free from the grip of fear? Psalm 27, David seems to think that you can live freed from fear, and he declares the secret to that freedom in the opening verse of our text today. Psalm 27, verse 1 states, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This great claim is really the big idea of the entire psalm. Everything flowing this, uh, out of this psalm seems to flow out of this wonderful verse. Having declared this great reality, however, David is quick to admit there are things even in his life that he's afraid of. Now, you may be unwilling to admit this morning your fears, but David was willing to admit that he was fearful of evildoers and armies and wars. And, and these aren't, this isn't a comprehensive list. But it's representative. He was fearful of some things. And the point he's making in this opening verse is that whatever comes along, whoever comes along, whenever it comes along, he doesn't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid this morning. Let me double back and boldface that. You don't have to be afraid. You don't. For David said, even his enemies, they stumbled and fell. Now, before we dismiss the claims of David as being naive and super spiritual, I think we need to look at where this psalm is being written from. You see, David has experienced some things. Most scholars believe that this psalm was written as a response to a trial David faced when his son Absalom had rebelled against him. We find that in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 18. And because of that, we need to consider this psalm was written at the end of his life. Which means, when David wrote this psalm... He had already faced a lion and a bear. He had already fought Goliath with the faith of an entire nation resting upon his shoulders. He had tried to, to, to flee from Saul, but Saul had pinned him to the wall with a spear and even attempted to hunt him down in hopes of taking his life. David spent years as a wanted man hiding in caves. Wives were taken and held hostage. He faced countless battles and wars. He had experienced egregious personal failure. I think you would agree with me this morning. David had been through some things. As he writes this psalm, however, one of his beloved sons has rebelled and is driving him out, causing him to face Maybe the greatest challenge, the greatest trial in his life. But what he's saying here, what I hope to say here this morning, to help you as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, as though enemies want to devour me, armies want to attack me, wars could destroy me in the midst of it all, just like David, we don't have to fear. 
So let's look first this morning at the source of David's confidence. He makes very clear that the source of his confidence is, is, is the Lord. It's the presence and the power and the promise of the Lord. And taking a couple of verses to list things that could be potentially frightening. Notice the source of his confidence is clear. He says in verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light. Meaning the Lord is, is David's source of illumination. His moral and spiritual knowledge and insight, it comes from not within, but from the Lord. And how is the Lord David's light? We memorized this verse in Vacation Bible School, Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, the Lord was his source of illumination. It was the word of the Lord. It was revelation that led him. I love the way Warren Wearsby puts it in his book, Live Like a King. He said this. He said, we do not understand and then obey. That is instruction. We obey by faith and then we understand. That's illumination. The Lord is David's light. He is the one David is trusting in by faith. But the Lord is far more than just a source of illumination. He's far more than just a source of moral and spiritual instruction. No, the Lord who is David's light, he acts in time and space and history. David can declare that not only is the Lord my light, but this makes me want to preach. He's my salvation. He's the strength of my life. Aren't you thankful that this Lord who is mighty and able to save in this life is able to save throughout the ages to come? We've heard report of what took place in revival even this last week. The Lord is not only mighty to save in special services, but he's mighty to save today, right now. You may trust him with your eternity, but what about your right now? Are you trusting him with your today? David said you can. Even in the midst of facing grave danger. He knew what it was to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet the Lord intervened. The Lord saved. The Lord rescued even in the face of death itself. The Lord was David's salvation. Psalm 23, 6. David can write, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How can he say such a thing? Because the Lord is his light and his salvation. You see the Lord is more than just a list of rules and regulations. He's more than just principles to live by. He is an active person <laughs> and he knows his people and he pursues his people. And he saves, he protects. That's the source of David's confidence. But notice verse number 4. This leads David to respond. David wants to know the Lord. He wants to fellowship with the Lord. He wants to worship him and experience the power of the Lord's presence. 
Because the Lord is his light. The Lord is his salvation. The Lord is his strength. And therefore, there's one thing. David was a one-thing man. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Studying the life of David uncovers several significant moments. But one high watermark is, is when David reigned as king and the Ark of the Covenant came through. <laughs> you see, this Ark of the Covenant, it symbolized the presence of the Lord and it contained the Word of God. It was brought to Jerusalem and David said, I want to build a house for it. You see, he wanted a, a permanent establishment for the presence of the Lord. So when we read this text and we hear David as a one-thing man, he's not saying, I want to spend the rest of my life in this worship service. Now, some of you may be saying, preacher, if you go too long, I may be just like David. No, David wasn't wanting to be a Levitical priest. He wasn't wanting a, a cot in the corner of the tabernacle. But David's wanting to dwell in the presence of the Lord. He wanted to build his life around the, the corporate worship of God. He's talking about a state of mind. He's talking about a state of being where the reality of the Lord's presence is ever before him. I wonder if there were moments in your day this last week where the presence of the Lord wasn't ever before your thinking. I'm here to admit this morning I'm guilty. There are times when I too am, am caught off guard and distracted. And generally speaking, when that happens, that's when I'm most vulnerable for Satan's attacks. Can I get a witness this morning? David said, I want to sell out to worship the Lord. Consider his character. Consider his nature. Consider his attributes. Consider the actions of God. Worshiping him with great confidence and joy. Can I put it to you this way? The Lord was the yearning of David's heart. And David's not done. Verse 5 and 6 tells us that there are reasons why we should have confidence in the Lord. Reasons why we should pursue God. Reasons why we should worship and adore Him. And these reasons are simple. You see, David yearns for the presence of God because he knows that God will take care of him. Can I say that once more? Because that's helping my heart this morning. God will take care of me. And I've got good news. If you're one of His children, He will take care of you. Now, I could close my Bible and we could go to the foyer because that's a good sermon, not because I preached it, but because it's reality. God will take care of us. He knows what he's doing. And he's able to meet our needs. David said in verse 5 and 6, and let me suffice to say, because we don't have time to deal with it fully, that the Lord will hide him and shield him and shelter him. That excites me and that. The Lord's talking to David. He said, so much so that I'll be lifted up above my enemies. 
and it'll lead me to see. You see, this kind of strength is a kind of strength that, that really is a faithful fear, fearlessness in, in our present day. But again, where does our confidence come from? How does David know that the Lord will do these things for him? How does he know that he will be hid and shielded and sheltered and lifted up this time? You see, those are some incredibly important, relevant questions. Because if you go back to when this psalm was written, 2 Samuel 15 through 18 was a very dark time for David. Absalom had the upper hand. David was drove out of the nation. He fled in humiliation to the enemies of God, the Philistines, bearing weakness and mockery along the way. It could be said that at this stage in David's life, he was weaker and more vulnerable here than any point in time in his life. 2 Samuel chapter 17 states that Absalom was one night away from catching and killing David. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're one day away from throwing in the towel? I want to be very clear this morning. There have been some dark seasons in ministry. Ministry is messy. For all those in ministry, can I get a witness? Amen. So in these bleak circumstances... How could David say with such confidence that the Lord would rescue him and lift him up? In part, David's confidence could come from past experience. <laughs> After all, you do realize this was a man who knew what it was to be rescued from danger of the Lord. But this time, Lord, I need more grace. I think more than just David relying on past experience. I think he understood something about the promises of God concerning his life and his kingdom and his future. I'm thankful this morning for those of you who draw strength from past experience, and we should, but we can't live in the rearview mirror. We've got to look ahead. And in looking ahead, we need to see that God has a plan. David saw clearly that God had a plan even when he was facing maybe the greatest trial in his life. You see, 2 Samuel chapter number 7, the Lord promises to, to give David a great name. And then promises David that he will give David a kingdom out of that name. And this, this kingdom will last forever. And then David is, is promised that his son will rule over his kingdom in his place. And David's house and kingdom will be made sure forever before the Lord. That's quite a promise. There have been a lot of promises made to me, and I've made a lot of promises, and unfortunately some promises aren't, aren't kept. But David had confidence in this promise. Even though he was being attacked. Even though his son was rebelling against him. Although he was at the weakest point in his life. David believes that God will fulfill his word. The Lord will take care of him and he will take care of you. Because the word of God will prevail. It must prevail. 
And this gives David hope. Now I'm putting the landing gear down this morning. I hope you can hear it squeaking. We're getting ready to hit the runway. But before I do, I want us to not only look at the source of of David's confidence, I want us to see the certainty of it. Because verse 6 works as a, a change of tone. If we were to end at verse number 6, we could all leave with our hands up. But in verse number 7, the tone of the psalm changes, so much so that liberal scholarship has stated that these may be two separate psalms. Now, I don't believe that because I know the Christian experience, and the Christian experience can have its ups and its downs. As you look at verse number 7, You hear David crying out to the Lord. He said, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. You see, David was a real human being with struggles who... With, with struggles, and he continues to believe in the midst of life's challenges. And although he believes, you must realize, and I must realize, that declaring his trust in the Lord didn't make the troubles go away. But David continues to declare and continues to face the pressure. Verse 7 through verse 14. There are three cycles that I want you to look at, hopefully one day when you're you're struggling through this Christian walk. In these three cycles, you see David giving an appeal and he's making an announcement. Can I put it to you this way? And maybe you've done this before. You've faced the dark night of the soul. Life, hard. You're frustrated, you're tired. Maybe things didn't go the way you hoped they would go. And so when it came time at the end of the service, as the pastor stepped out front, you walked forward and you bowed in an altar and you prayed asking the Lord to help you. But you went back to the same troubles. And so the next Sunday you do the same thing. And again, you go back home to the same troubles. Maybe a third time. Maybe third time's the charm. You go back on that third week. Lord, will you deliver me? And what happens? Well, you prayed. But it seems like nothing's happening at all. There's three cycles in verse 7 through 14 where David goes back to the well again and again and again. He says something like this. He said, Lord, help me. And then he'd say, thou hast been my help. Now the Lord hadn't taken him out of the trouble. But the Lord was walking with him through it. And when we realize that, that's when business picks up. You see, David gives himself to the Lord. And he gives himself so much so to him that his final word is this. Wait on the Lord. And this isn't some little fuzzy devotional cliche. This is a man who knows the character, the the work, the promise of God. Don't lose sight of the necessity of asking the Lord. 
Don't lose sight of the necessity of announcing who he is. It may be this morning that you need to bow and you bring his petitions before him, but then you worship him for who he is. Because you see there's satisfaction in David's confidence. Now David had a promise. And that promise led him to confidence. But you and I have a greater promise. You see, we have a greater David. David was looking for that blessed hope to come. And we look back to an old rugged cross where our Savior bled and died, but he didn't stay dead. And if you're not coming to Wednesday night, he won't stay gone. Amen. Cry out to the Lord this morning. There's confidence in the Lord Jesus. So much so, I've got to say this, and I'm going to sit down. Paul, at the end of his life, could make a statement like this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18. He said, Then the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What happened to the Apostle Paul? Well, he was released from that Mamertine prison, but it wasn't to breathe much life, breathe much breath outside those walls. History tells us that he ran to the chopping block and he laid his life down. How could a man do such a thing? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Don't be like the South Fork Dam this morning. I know the rivers may be rising and the pressure may be building, but there's still hope in the Lord Jesus. Would you bow with me this morning? I just want to breathe a word of prayer as our pastor makes his way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful words of life and God, we ask you in these moments to minister to your people because no doubt there are people sitting in these seats under this roof who have great needs. I pray that they would see the need of responding as David responded. We're thankful that you're our light and our salvation. We don't have to fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mother Zach. Boy, what a great, great word. You know, the Bible says right there in that psalm, he said, hear me, teach me, deliver me, and then wait. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you struggling with fear? Have you prayed and prayed and prayed and feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling? Could I just ask you to do this? Would you change directions? Yes. Instead of praying would you humble yourself and remember the Lord lives right here in your heart through the Holy Spirit of God he's right here would you do like David did and just wait on the Lord I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning and no one look around maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord maybe you're here this morning and there's never been a time where you've stopped and considered where you're going to spend an eternity. 
Brothers and sisters, let me just encourage you in this response. If you're here today and you are saved, there are times we become fearful. But friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Dear friend, we don't want to see anybody die and go to hell. So with that fear in mind, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, right where you're at today, from your heart to God, would you say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, the best that I know how, I repent of my sins, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name.